0: you know it really is the greatest story ever told but you know what it's not just a story it's a historical account and so this week begins what we're going to call advent now i grew up in a traditional church but not a high church tradition and i always heard about this thing called advent and I always wondered what that meant And so I began doing some research, and over the years, I've I've seen things here and there, and I don't know about you, but I've been in bookstores where I saw an assembly or an array of candles like this. Sometimes you'll see them with a white candle in the middle, and I always wondered what those were. They kind of had that high church look, and I I thought, well, I I don't know what that is because our church never practiced or observed Advent, even though I'd heard of it. And so I began doing some research and reading over the last few years, in fact, my son Chris and his wife Casey they for the last couple of years have just on a personal level have celebrated Advent with their children because they wanted to teach and start a tradition that would be something that would be really special to them for Christmas and so I thought this year I actually wanted to do it last year and and we didn't get to do it but I thought this year I wanted to give some time and some attention and focus to Advent because here's the thing One of the dangers of being a non-denominational church like ours is that we are a lot of things coming together and yet many of us have walked away from and or left traditions that were actually very meaningful, very significant to us. And I would say back in the 60s and particularly the 70s and the charismatic movement and the outbreak, there was almost a shunning Of anything that had the word traditional in it. To the point of, I think, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because how many know, not all traditions are evil. Not all traditions are bad. And so, one of the things I've wanted to do, and especially during this season, where it is imperative that we get our eyes on Jesus in the midst of everything. I mean, how many of you had the, I mean, really, how many of you participated in Black Friday this, this week? Wow, maybe we should have special prayer. <laughs> it's not a shame thing. I mean, I, go for it, have fun. I participated in my sweats, uh, sitting at home reading your Facebook accounts of being in lines, and I lived vicariously through you uh, on Facebook, reading of all my friends all over the place uh, being in lines for hours and shopping all night, and and uh, I mean pure craziness and mayhem. And so uh, we knew that was going on. Cyber Monday's coming. And uh, for techno geeks like myself, that's an exciting day. But I mean, a lot of times we get so excited about some of the things that surround the holidays. And I don't think they're bad things necessarily. I mean, we can get really upset about materialism and consumerism and, oh, we've so commercialized everything. But some of those are not all bad. I mean, the giving of gifts and presents are a wonderful thing. I mean, who doesn't like to get a present? Come on. Come on. Can we be human for a second? I mean, I'm not talking about just a spiritual thing here, but I mean, it's a joy to receive a present. Am I right? I mean, I remember when I got my first lime green Schwinn Stingray. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I wasn't even a Christian. I was praying for that. I don't know who I was praying to, but I was like, oh, please, please. And I wrote notes and I left hints and I ended up getting my, my lime green Schwinn Stingray when I was a little kid, and I'll never forget walking in there on Christmas morning and and hoping that Santa had delivered. You know what I mean? And I walked in and saw a big bow on the seat of the banana seat, by the way, of that bike. Come on, somebody, A little sissy bar action going on. Come on now, streamers on the hand, on the glitter, the silver glitter hand grips. Hey, I'm just going back, way back here. I'm reliving the moment here for a second. Even just talking about it makes me feel good. Gives me warm fuzzies. But everybody likes to get a gift. Everybody likes to get a present. But let me tell you something. There's presence that trump presence. And let me say what that is. It is the presence of God himself. His manifest. Now, when I say manifest, that means his apparent, his very real, very tangible presence trumps the presence that we're going to get under the tree that we're going to have fun with, that we're going to enjoy and should. But let me tell you something. I want to focus on his presence in the sense of his very personhood being with us. Amen. So if you would, let's give first place to the reading of God's word. Would you stand? And while you're standing, turn to Matthew chapter one. I won't preach while you're standing. (laughs) Some of you are laughing. I won't keep you standing long, but I want to give first place to the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. We'll be reading out of the ESV translation. It'll be on the screen in that translation. But if you have a different translation, read right along in your Bible as well. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I want you to also look with me and you can look on the screen for this. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And we read here. Notice we read at the beginning of the book and the end of the book a very similar thing. Go, therefore, and this is Jesus speaking, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Now, look what he says here and behold, I am with you when always Always to the end of the age. In the beginning, we're told that he is God with us at the end of his earthly life. We're told, look what it says, that he will be with us always to the end of the age. Can we pray? Father, I ask that you would add your blessing, your grace and your anointing to the reading of your word, that your word would speak to us. That Father, you would be our teacher. Holy Spirit, be to us today the Spirit of truth who will lead us and guide us into all truth. We honor you and we honor your word and we're thankful here today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me give you a definition of the word presence because we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about His presence. We're going to talk about Advent. We're going to also observe communion today. We're going to talk a little bit more about an in-depth in communion and what that means today. Because we're going to start with this. We're going to start this season with two ways to experience God's presence in the purest form. The word presence means this. It means immediate vicinity. So when he says God with us, he means literally here with us. It means proximity or even a personal appearance. My prayer this morning has been, Lord, I want to experience you in a personal way. Would you make yourself apparent to me? I don't know about you, but that ought to be our prayer on an ongoing basis. Amen? That we would experience him and experience his presence. I don't know about you, but I heard Bill Johnson say this a couple weeks ago. We went over to Beltway, they were having a conference, and Bill Johnson was speaking that night. It was fascinating and excellent excellent message and he made this comment he said I dare say that in the majority of churches that if God's presence was to leave most would never know the difference and we would continue to do things as we've always done them that's a strong statement that's a strong indictment but my question for you is if God left would we know the difference I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I'm going to be real personal today, and I want to really keep break it down for you because it's critical, and I'm reminded of this more and more every day as we deal with people, as we deal with people in need, as we deal with situations, people. There's a lot going on right now, and as we enter into this season when it should be a time of celebration and joy, should it not be, Should not this be an exciting time for us? And yet I'm hearing of suicides. We're dealing with issues. We're seeing people in the military, a rise, a sudden rise in suicides and situations and criminal activity. I mean, things are going crazy. Even here in Abilene, the big metropolis of Abilene, a lady gets attacked in the parking lot at Walmart at eight o'clock in the morning. Somebody trying to take her purse. Folks, something's wrong here. And so it'd be real easy to get down and depressed and discouraged and, and relate. I mean, it would be as easy for me to do that as it would anybody in here because my mother died and was hospitalized and died during the Christmas holidays at the age of 45. I was a college student. It'd be real easy for me to just relate the Christmas season, which that Christmas was a wreck for me. And it'd be so easy to just fall into a funk and get depressed, and oh, I just remember my mom, and I just remember how amazing she was. And oh, I remember her being in the hospital. I remember her, them having to kick start her heart five or six times with us standing outside the door, and hearing those paddles go off. I remember, oh, it is horrible remembering how she died, and her heart, you know, she lost 80% of her heart function in, in a full on coronary. You see, I could just sit and go around in circles and play that over and over in my mind. Instead, I've made a choice to say, gosh, I'm so thankful that my mom is in heaven or at the throne of Jesus, beholding him face to face. My gosh, she's there where I desire to be. Now, I'm not ready to go anytime soon. Come on, folks. I got some living to do and we got some people to win to Jesus. Amen. We've got disciples to make. We have a mission to fulfill. But, but it would be so easy to just collapse in, in, in sadness or when Mother's Day rolls around. But let me just encourage you. Let me exhort you to not allow yourself to fall into that trap. Because let me tell you what it is. It is a trap of the enemy to get your eyes on something that's negative and something that is down, that is going to take you down in a spiral so that you cannot celebrate and rejoice the immediate vicinity, the proximity of Jesus among us. Emmanuel, God with us. So listen, put your smile on, bust out your Christmas lights. I've had my Christmas tree up for three weeks. I've had my lights up for two weeks outside. My neighbors hate me. For the first time in my life, I put pressure on my neighbors. I'm always the last. Pastor Rich would beat me to the punch every time. I'd be like, Pastor Rich is out putting his lights up. And I knew what that meant for me. I was was mad at you during the holidays. I carried an offense, man. I was like, gosh, that means I got to get out and do it. Because my daughter and my wife are going, well, Pastor Rich has got his lights up. So for the first time in history of my life, I beat everybody with the punch by weeks. Nice. Yeah. But let me tell you the point of doing all the celebration, the point of the lights, the point of the tree. It's so that we can celebrate and then we can really begin to enjoy this season. Yep. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you and exhort you. Do not. In fact, it might be good for you to not even read the news for a little bit. I know I'm a, I'm a current events kind of guy, but listen. Be careful what you're dwelling on. Be careful what you're spending time with. Because I'm telling you, you read that every day. It is going to blow your socks off. It's going to depress you. It's going to take you down. Because we do leak out what we're full of. And I want to encourage you during the season. Man, have some fun. Go, go get you a, a spice latte from Starbucks. Whatever it takes to be positive and be excited. Even if it's caffeine driven. Hey, hallelujah. Praise God. Annoying in a cup. But whatever it takes. Man, put on some Christmas music and not the old Elvis blue album. I mean, I'm not going to have a blue Christmas without anybody. Man, I'm going to celebrate. Watch Elf. Have some fun. Come on, somebody. I knew that would get somebody. But I'm going to encourage you. Do not allow. Do not allow the spirit, which is not of God. To take you down through this season. Now, I'm not saying you got to run around high five and all your neighbors and freaking people out at the mall. I'm just saying, let the light and remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a child of the most high God. You've been raised up and seated together. All of us together in Christ in heavenly places. That doesn't mean that there's not discouragement. That doesn't mean there's not things going on. What it means is is that you've made a decision that I will not be defined by what is going on in my life right now. I choose to enjoy. And along with Elf and everybody else, with Buddy the Elf, I choose to believe. Have a Coke and a smile. Whatever it takes. Amen? Amen? Do not allow yourself to get caught in that because it will take you down. And I'm telling you, if you will come here now, if you're not, not going to come here because we're up, then I'm sorry for you. That's, that'd be a bad choice. But come here every week. We'll, we will in, in this sense, we will pump you up. Because we are keeping Jesus first in Christmas. Man, we're doing the trees. We're doing the lights. I got my little reindeer out in the yard doing their thing. I mean, you know, I got little candy canes. I mean, we're we're doing the stuff. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, all that matters is Jesus. All that matters is Jesus. God with us. His presence. His presence. Proximity. I want to be where he is. Amen? Let me tell you something. He's he's attracted to thanksgiving. He's attracted to joy. And I just want to encourage you. Just let the joy flow during this season. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Come on. He's worthy. He's worthy. All right. A couple ways to experience him this season. We're going to do something real different. I'm going to do some little teaching on Advent. Just so you'll get an understanding. Because you know what's sad? Is that when I was in a traditional church, we had traditions. Man, we had the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year. That was a tradition. I, for years I was like, who is Lottie Moon? I mean, we had a Lottie Moon here for a while, lived here. It's a different Lottie Moon. She's named after her. But uh not really. But but we had and, and we had all these traditions. We had vacation Bible school. Every every year we had these things that Honestly, there were certain points in my life where I thought, oh, here we go again. We got this going on. We got this happening. We got... And yet those were actually those are things I actually miss now. Coming into a non-denominational church, if we're not careful, we can let go and miss some things. And we can lose the power of symbol. The power of symbols. I still get goosebumps. Now, listen. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know a steeple is designed on a church? It's not just an architectural feature to say, hey, that's a church because it's got a steeple. You know what a steeple is designed to do? Do you know what the interior of a classic traditional church is designed to do? It's designed to point you heavenward. It's designed to turn your gaze upward. When you see a steeple, think about what it really means. It's a symbol, and the symbol is pointing upward, pointing skyward, saying Jesus is the Lord. When you walk into a church, and we don't have that value in, in this kind of facility, but when you walk into a traditional church, I don't know about you, when I walk in those back doors and I walk into a church that's been built and it has a cathedral feel to it, what, if, what if, I don't know about you, but what I do immediately is my eyes go upward. I mean, I'm drawn upwards. You know why? That is actually architecturally built, not for extravagance, but for purpose. And the purpose is to point you. That's what symbols do. Symbols are signs that point you, listen, to a greater reality. Symbols are signs that point us to a greater reality. And you may have seen Advent candles. You may have participated in Advent. I would encourage you to do this at home. You don't have to have anything fancy, you don't have to make it a big deal, but it will be a great way with your family to call attention to the things that are important during this season and keep our eyes fixed and focused squarely. On Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you a little bit about Advent. First of all, the word Advent means this arrival. That's what the word means. So when we talk about celebrating Advent, we're talking about celebrating the arrival of Jesus. Look what it says. Uh, Advent, arrival, coming into place. In other words, when Jesus, when it was prophesied that, that there would be this son, this, this Emmanuel, God with us, as Pastor Rich read in John chapter 1, verse 14, he talked about this in our prayer time. God with us, our, our, the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's exactly what this is. His arrival, his coming into place, view or being. In other words, Advent means that Jesus is coming. Now, in the Christian tradition of Advent, because there is another tradition of Advent, but in the Christian tradition of Advent, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came. Come on, somebody. And that there will be another coming. Jesus is coming again. There will be a second coming. And so we celebrate that and we recognize that. And this symbol, which I'll I'll tell you what this means in just a minute, literally points us to that fact that he has come and that he is coming again. Amen. Now, it means this, a celebration of the presence of God in Christ Jesus. God with us. God manifest. The season of Advent, it serves as a reminder both of the original waiting that was done by the Hebrew people. Which literally, did you know that there were 400 years of silence during what's called the intertestamental period? Between the end of the close of what we would call the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, there were 400 years of silence. Can you imagine what it would be like? To know the stories of the Exodus. And know the stories of God. And know that there is a coming Messiah. That has been promised. A savior. One that would come and literally set things right. One that would come and make things right again. 400 years of silence. How many generations is that? Where now all they can do is tell the stories of how it used to be. But there is a promise. But God's faithful to his promises. You know, we get tore up if we don't get a prayer answered in a day or two. I mean, we're in such a McDonald's generation. I mean, Burger King, McDonald's, I'm tore up. If I'm in line at McDonald's and it's more than a couple of minutes, I'm like, what's going on here? (laughs) Hello? Microwave, popcorn, three and a half minutes. Are you kidding? Can we not do better than that? I mean, we live in a get it now. I mean, I've got a Kindle on my iPad. I told you I was a geek. I've got one, and, and literally, I mean, somebody tells me about a good book, I'm like, click, 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 got it. Before they finish the sentence, I've already got the book downloaded. I can, I can get a book instantly. Now, I, I like some of that stuff, probably too much. But I'm telling you, can you imagine 400 years of waiting? Can you imagine your grandparents talking about a time when the prophets were alive and the prophets spoke? Your great-grandparents and talking and telling about the time when the prophet was on the scene and spoke of a coming Messiah. But then nothing. Silence. Silence. 400 years. But there's an advent coming. This is what advent is. This is what advent means. There is an arrival. There is a coming. There is a promise that has been made, and God will be true to his promise. And these people had been lost. Their hope deferred. You know what hope deferred does? It makes the heart sick, the scripture says. And so for years, they had gone in silence with nothing. You ever been through a desert time when it seemed like God wasn't speaking? More than likely, we weren't hearing. But it could be that God is silent at times and heaven is silent at times and we can grow very much into despair during that time. Amen? Can you imagine 400 years, generation after generation? And you know, the stories probably got diluted over time. All they had to go back to was the writings. Well, there were promises. There's promises have been made. There's a covenant that was been, that's been made. There's promises in a covenant. You know, this must be true. But all they had to hang on to was hope. Hope. The first Sunday in Advent, there's four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And the first Sunday is this Sunday, this date. And the whole purpose of Advent for us is that word right there, hope. That's what the candle represents. The colors, which sometimes will be purple, sometimes will be blue. In fact, in the Christian tradition, you'll see them more now blue than purple. actually represent hope. Peace, joy, no, love. And then this one, the pink one, which is actually supposed to be representative of red or pink rose. Is joy. And on the third week of Advent, we'll light that candle and it's all about joy. Because Advent for the believer, Advent for the Christian ought to be a celebration, not a time of mourning. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do something. We're going to observe Advent for the first time. I would encourage you to try this at home. Do try this at home. This is not like Mythbusters. Do try this at home. Do this at home. Get you four candles. It doesn't have to be fancy or anything, but you can do this at home. Now, listen to this. Remember, the word hope in the Bible is the word for expectation. And as we light this candle, it's symbolic of the fact that we are expectant. We're grateful for one coming, but we are expectant for a second coming. And we take this time right now to celebrate that. Josh, would you come? And play, and I'm going to have Pastor Rich come up as well. There's some scripture readings that we're going to do around this, and so I want to encourage you to be relaxed, but be attentive to what we're doing. And I would invite you to really be prayerful and worshipful as we enter into this time. You can pull the lights down, Randall. Pastor Rich is going to read from Isaiah chapter two, verses one through five, and and then I'm going to have uh, Alan come up and read as well. That's rich.
1: The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and he shall decide disputes among peoples, and they shall beat their swords with plowshares and their spares into pruning hooks. And na- nations shall not lift up swords against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Allen.
0: I'll be reading Psalm
1: 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure, those who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. It's Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now Than when we first believe the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling, quarreling and jealousy, but put on Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.
0: And the last reading will be from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44, and you can see it on the screen. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Father, we light this candle today as a symbol, a symbol of hope, because we are an expectant people. We observe and celebrate Advent, the arrival. We're so grateful for the birth of Jesus Christ. And in this season, even here, right now, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has already come, that He is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, I pray for every person sitting in this sanctuary, here right now in the sound of my voice, that has very real needs, that they may be comforted, that they may be encouraged That they may be inspired knowing that you, Father, are with us in Jesus by your spirit who indwells us. And for that, Lord, today, I'm grateful. So, Lord, we take time today to say that we are expectant of another return. We are hopeful. We know there are promises. We know that Jesus said he will indeed come again. And so, Father, we are expectant, we're hopeful, we are aware, and we are awake. And we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And, Father, we give each Sunday of this month, each of the next four Sundays, to remember and to anticipate. And So, Father, we thank you that hope has not been deferred for us. Our heart is not sick, but, Father, we rejoice that you are with us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. I'm going to have Josh stay up here. Let's go ahead and turn the lights up. That's one way that we can begin a new tradition in celebrating the presence of God, not just presence of God or presence that we give to one another. But another way that we celebrate is through communion. And today we're going to receive and participate in communion. Together, But I want to go a little deeper with it because a lot of times we come together and many of us are coming from different traditions, different backgrounds, and different faiths. So I want to share a little bit about where we're going with communion and what it means and why it's so important to us. Let me first of all break the word down for you. The word communion means common. Literally, it means common union. So when we talk about communion, we're talking about that which we have in union with one another. And that which we have in union, that commonality that we have with God. In fact, the word common unity or community is drawn from that as well. So communion is common union. Community is common unity. So when we do this together, we're doing this on the instruction of Jesus Christ. When he said, when you come together, do this. Paul later recounted it in Corinthians, and we'll look at that in just a minute. In fact, go with me to Matthew chapter 26 in your Bibles. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. Matthew 26, 26 to 29. It'll be on the screen as well. And in this situation, Jesus had just celebrated Passover With his disciples. In fact, it's been said that maybe Seder or Passover is actually the same thing. But actually, Jesus here sets it up as a separate thing. And so, some people will celebrate it together and think in terms of it's the same thing. And that Jesus, when he celebrated the Passover, it was indeed the Last Supper. But he actually made a break here. And I'll show you how that works. In verse 26, he shifts gears from the Seder Supper, the Seder meal which is the Passover that he had with his disciples. By the way, you may have seen uh, Da Vinci's painting of that where they're all sitting at a table feasting. Anybody seen that? Well, actually, it's not real accurate. It's, it's a nice picture, but they were actually leaning and reclining on the floor at a very low table Uh, In fact, it was never the custom to actually sit in chairs and and receive that and do that together. So that that picture, just just a little note, note there and realize they were actually leaning and reclining at the table together. Anytime you see in the scriptures where it says Jesus reclined at the table, that doesn't mean he had the coolest chair ever. You know what I mean? He wasn't sitting at a lazy boy and kicking back. He was literally reclining in the sense of laying over on his side, reclining on one elbow. That was how they ate their meals and took their meals together. So just a little, little interesting fact there. Matthew 26, 26 says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. I want you to think of the implications of, the, again, symbolism, the power of symbol. Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. My gosh, I get goosebumps just reading that and thinking about that. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new. With you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus at this very moment. Was setting up his exit. Remember he said. It's for your good that I go away. Because while he was present with us. In the flesh. He could only be in one place at one time. He said it's for your good that I go away. Because I'm sending another counselor. Another comforter. The Holy Spirit. The paracletos. The one called alongside to help. And it was for our good that Jesus actually went away. So that we now could have him omnipresent, with us always. That's why it said there at the end of Matthew 28, and we read it at the beginning, I will be with you always. He can be through the person of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Living in us. what well, Jesus said, I'm not going to drink of this fruit again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the passage that we whenever we receive the Lord's Supper, it will typically be read in this ordinance or in this time. And so I want to share this scripture with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. It will be on the screen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now, this is Paul speaking to, again, the church at Corinth. And he sets something up because he says, look, you guys have messed some things up. As they, as Jesus had set apart the Lord's Supper, or the, the Communion, as something very the Lord's Table. There's different names for it. As something very sacred and very solemn, they had turned it into a big feast. They were showing up, going, "Hey, we're doing. Hey, we're doing Communion tonight. Woohoo! Let's bust out the wine. Let's bust out the bread. Let's have a party." And that's exactly what the church was doing. They were coming together and having a party. And they literally had removed and taken all the holiness and purity out of this and the sacredness. So Paul shows up in the middle of this and he says this. He's very strong. He says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He says, I can tell because I can see those that are authentic and I can tell the ones that are not. Says when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Man, people were showing up just for the food. Now, we life group leaders know how that works. We know how to grow life group, don't we, folks? We can serve some food and folks show up. I mean, we know people like to eat. That they were showing up to church when they were supposed to be celebrating and remembering Jesus, doing this in remembrance of him. And in fact, they were drinking, and they were, they were partying. They, some were eating all the food, and nobody would get any. And it was, a, it was a pitiful scene. Verse 23, Paul shifts gears and says, Let me tell you, because I received this of the Lord. He says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, and we just read this in Matthew, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if we were to just stop there, we could easily turn communion or the Lord's Supper into something, again, that becomes familiar and that we just do because we just do it. But let me tell you something. There's some very stern warnings for taking it in an unworthy manner. And we don't read this as much as we should. But I want to go on through the scriptures here because it's very important that you see how serious God takes this ordinance. Verse 27. Are you ready? Are you with me? Are you listening? All right. Verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Do I need to explain that? We'll be guilty. The blood of Jesus will be on your hands if you drink this cup and eat this, this bread in an unworthy manner. In other words, in a familiar manner. In a way in which you are not understanding the reverence and holiness through which we do and what we do. How important it is. I started earlier talking about this season and how critical it is. That we who say we love Jesus are truly connected to Jesus. Not just connected to church. Not just connected to religion. Thank God for religion. Thank God for the church. Religion's not a bad word, by the way. We've turned it into a bad word, but it's not. Connected to traditions are a good thing. But if we're not connected to Jesus, it's all for naught. In fact, we become guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. His blood is on our hands. This is so serious. Look what he says. Let a person examine himself, which is what we should do before we receive the cup, which we will do in just a moment. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. After you've examined. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In other words, you have to evaluate your own standing in Christ. And I'm telling you, there's not a time that we do not receive communion whereby I say, Father, forgive me, cleanse me, make me clean before you. And I thank you for your blood, which does that very thing. It says this, verse 30. Now, listen to how serious this is. That is why many of you are weak and ill. This is how serious this is. And some have died. Why? Because they ate the bread and drank the cup in an unworthy manner. What are you saying, Pastor Jimmy? I'm not saying anything. I'm going to let the Word say what the Word says. That the Word of God, Paul himself, attributes illness, weakness, and death to taking this in an unworthy manner. I don't know about you, but I want to to examine myself today, amen, before I take this. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly or rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. In other words, don't come here to get a bite. Stop by McDonald's on the way, but this is not your sustenance. Amen? So if that, when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Paul was laying this out and saying, this is how serious God takes this. And I think that we have made it far too familiar. We've... Boiled it down to a moment when in fact it is one of the most important things that we do. It is when we stop and when we remember and when we celebrate and when we say, Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Please, everybody, look at me for a second. This is when we say, Thank you, Jesus. This is when it matters. Listen, I'm all about the pep and the pump as much as anybody. I love adrenaline. I'm an adrenaline junkie when it comes to getting excited about and hooting and hollering and hecking and getting excited and pumped up and declaring the word. But, you know, there are moments where we need to stop and go better. Remember why we're doing this. And remember what this is about. And we thought there's not a more appropriate time than to really call and give attention to communion than Advent. The first day when we say this Christmas will be about Jesus. We're going to have fun. We're going to do the stuff. But this will be about him. Amen. So I'm going to invite our worship team to come up as well. They're going to lead us in worship. We will serve the team as well. I'm going to go ahead and have our ushers come forward. Our men that are going to serve communion today. We're going to invite you today. Normally we have you come up and we set over here, but we're going to serve you today, communion, as we do this. So we're going to go ahead and pass out the elements. And if you would, Randall, you go ahead and bring the lights down. And would you just be in an attitude of prayer right now, in an attitude of worship? Would you just give some thought to what we've talked about? Advent, the arrival. Communion, common union with him. And would you take this moment? Let's go ahead and pass out the elements, gentlemen. Go ahead. I'll pray over the elements. If You'll just keep the elements in your hand and I'll pray over those and we'll do this together. Just want to make sure everybody gets served and we do this together. But would you take a moment while you've got those elements in your hand, representative, again, the power of symbol, representative of the body of Jesus that was broken for you and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for you, that was spilled for you. And would you take a moment right now? to simply bow your head and examine yourself. And if you need to repent. This is the time to do it. Now, let me say something. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, we do celebrate open communion here. However, based on on the word of God and what we have read here, it would actually be dangerous for you if you are not a follower of Jesus to take this. And so I would encourage you not to do that if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you've not given your life to him, if you are not a Christian Christian. If you have not been born again, I, I encourage you to not do this. Because we do not want you to drink and eat judgment upon yourself. But for those of you that are Christians, that are Christ followers, I would ask you, examine, repent, and set yourself apart. Consecrate yourself. me give you the definition of the word communion it's Latin and it means communio communio and it literally means to share in common it's referred to in some traditions as the Holy Eucharist which literally means thanksgiving or to give thanks so when we do this together we're giving thanks we're remembering it's also the, the Greek word the equivalent of the word koinonia Which literally means fellowship, closeness, or togetherness. We say around here loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And so when we observe communion, we're remembering Jesus. We're being grateful. And we're celebrating community. Common unity with God and with one another. And so having examined yourself... I want to ask the Lord to bless the bread and the wine. And as I do, I'm going to read this scripture and we'll receive this together and I will lead this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm just, I'm just undone thinking about what I'm holding in my hand and how this represents what you've done for me. That your love never fails. That, Father, you have and continue to make all things work together for my good. And, Lord, you sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And in this moment, Father, we pause. We stop everything. And we say, thank you. we do this in remembrance of you. And we ask you, Lord, to bless this bread, this juice. We do this to celebrate the symbol of the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus for our sins. Father, having examined ourselves, having repented, having consecrated and set ourselves apart, Father, we observe this. And we celebrate this for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name. In verse 23 of Corinthians 11, it says this For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this. In remembrance of me. You can take the bread. Thank you. In the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take the cup. Father, we are thankful today. We remember Jesus. We commit our hearts to celebrate this season. We fight off cultural influences. We fight off tendencies toward depression. Or toward seeing this as a negative time. Father, we fight that. We stand on the authority of your word. And we fight that spirit. And we thank you that we can indeed rejoice in the Lord always. And we choose always to rejoice. And Father, we thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Lord, teach us. Continue to disciple us. Father, we are yours.